Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. The great thing about scaling a property portfolio is is the more you invest it, the more the easier and quicker it gets to grow. You've got more deals that are coming to you rather than you having to chase deals. So you, when you get that momentum behind you, it's kind of, it's like a snowball effect, you know, that's, it becomes much easier to scale. Welcome back to the Commercial Property Investor podcast. And today I'm joined by Mike Lawson. Hi, Mike. Hi, how's it going? Good. Great to have you here. Um, Mike's been investing in resi property for a number of years and has really focused in on a specific area. So we'll talk about that in a minute, Mike. But he's also branched into commercial. And what is even more interesting is Mike does this all the way from Dubai. So thank you so much for flying in to see us, Mike. Really appreciate that. Yeah, thanks very much. <laughs> you have come here for other things, though, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, so I'm here for um, about a month, um, just sort of working on the business and uh, trying to sort of professionalise it a little bit and uh, trying to pick up some deals here, there and everywhere. You are... Quite unique, though, because you focus in, your residential portfolio is in on literally two postcodes. Yeah, so we're really focused in on DD6 and KY15. And actually, I can't I can't even imagine I'm saying this, but we just bought a flat in Dundee. Uh, something <laughs> overseas. I swear I'd never, overseas, yeah. <laughs> right across the Tay, I swear I'd never do it. Um, but a family friend came to us and said, we're underwater with a mortgage on this. We've got a tenant in, can you give us a hand? And yeah, we were, we we're happy, happy to take it. It was, it was a good enough deal for us. The numbers stacked and the tenant that had it had been in for five years and it seemed like really nice folk. So we said, we just, we just did it. But, uh, right. Well, we're going to come back to that. I want to talk about the current market, right? And maybe some of the opportunities, but also some of the challenges for people. But let's, let's set the scene. So this is effectively a family business, right? So maybe yeah. you could just tell us how that started and where things are now. Yeah, right? so my family been doing this for about 20 years. Um, we've really kind of involved in the buy-to-let market. Mum and dad were doing this before buy-to-let was even a thing. You know, they were just buying houses to top up their pension, um, not really to make cash flow every month, just a kind of a long-term thing to... To, to, to help them help them kind of uh, you know retire a bit, a bit earlier and get the most out of life and uh, you know they, they kind of got, got me excited about it so as soon as I finished university it was you know you're, you're in a job now you need to save for your first house and then when I got the first one it was you made it made it, I heard you made a bonus last week son you need to give us that money over and get yourself <laughs> a second house and before I knew it I had a, I had about 10 buy to let units and I was living in London at the time and I was just you know I had no intention to live in London full time I didn't really like living in London it was just a means to an end it was a good laugh when you're when you're in your 20s um so for me I was just buying buy to lets because it was it was just seemed like the obvious thing to do at the time and yeah just matters making pretty modest sort of money every month rent and these and these are all in the same location so they're being all in one after. village yeah all in one village <laughs> all in one right, village yeah, yeah it's uh we, we've got about 16 in one village actually if you can believe it's uh <laughs> we own cul-de-sacs we own half a street in one place we own you know a block of flats in one area so what's the logic behind that 
We like to consolidate. Um, I'll give an example. There's, there's this one cul-de-sac we own. Pretty much everything on the cul-de-sac fit for a couple of houses. And, you know, it was famously a horrible place to live because there was cars up on bricks everywhere. There was no off-street parking. It was just a mess. It was a bit of a, I don't know, I don't want to call it a ghetto, but it was that kind of, you know, really rough area. And we got the flats cheap for that reason. But, you know, we managed to consolidate them. We managed to apply for off-street parking and, you know, get the curbs lowered and, you know, got a green area inserted in the middle of um, that's you know, run by the council now. And um, we kept the nice middle of gardens, nice, putting decent tenants in there. And actually it's, you know, you control your own comparables. Mm -hmm. So it's pushed the price of all of those houses on that street up. I mean, we were buying them back in the day for, you know, 70 grand. Now when we buy one, they cost 120. And I think a big part of that's us that's pushed the prices up in that area. It also pushed the price of rents up as well because you control those buildings. But from a practical standpoint, you know, if a gutter goes or a roof goes or something happens, you know, there's a bigger issue in the property, you're not chasing lots of different either landlords or homeowners to get them fixed. You just go and get it fixed yep. because you own the whole thing. So how long did it take to really to consolidate on the street? You know, that's not an overnight thing. Yeah, I mean, we were at it for quite a while and uh, it got to the point where there was a couple of holdouts uh, <laughs> and we were chasing them and actually um, one, one, of the, uh, one of the houses came up actually. On chasing the, them? What does that mean? Well, we were sending them letters <laughs> and saying, come on, you must just sell it to us and move somewhere else. Um, but there was actually one guy who, uh, who he actually said to us, there was another house came up and he came in and he owned, he owned a house on that street. Another one came up on the street and he came to us and said, uh, I know you're going to try and buy that house, but I want that house because it's downstairs flat. And he's like, I want to live on this street. He says, because you've got it looking right nice. I know you're always going to have it looking right nice. So he says, you buy my flat, I'll buy that one. And when I die, you can buy mine. <laughs> so uh, so that's the deal with it, isn't the guy? So we bought his flat and he bought the other one. So he's got a downstairs flat, so it's more easy for him to get in and out of. Um, but I think it's, listen, I don't think it's a strategy for everyone. I think there's there's concerns around their mortgages and stuff. Yeah. Not all lenders are comfortable with things like that, which I find odd, to be honest with you. But I guess it's about managing risk, isn't it? Um, yeah. It's all, yeah, all in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? Because sometimes what you and I may think is mitigating risk for them is is actually challenging their their, their box ticking. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, so that's the residential <laughs> side. And we got together about a couple of years ago now, yeah. maybe? A couple of years ago, and you were saying, well, I'm thinking about starting to do commercial... Um, was that more for diversification because you were getting bored? What was I was the... getting bored and mm -hmm. I was looking for other kind of strategies to look into. Um, I thought there was bigger opportunities to be had. So I did, uh, I joined your CMO day to see around yep. your CMOs, get a feel for it. And I remember coming away absolutely buzzing, excited about it. And then at the end of the day, you sort of pulled me aside and said, you know what, Mike, I've been thinking about this. And I think for you, because you've got so many properties, you know, in those areas, it'd be better if you just bought some shops in those areas, but buy the high streets in those areas. Um, because then, you, you know, there'd be good investments. You'd be investing in local businesses in the community. So that's what we did. Uh, and I went away and I actually wrote a letter to every single shop on those high streets. Mm -hmm. And two people came back to me. One was local butcher shop and mm -hmm. the butcher was retiring and he wanted to sell up the butcher shop. He wanted the, the young lad in the shop, the, the apprentice, to buy the goodwill and the, the equipment and he needed someone to buy the shop. So I bought the shop and the young lad stayed in. We got him yep. on a new lease and it was great. And, you know, it's a five-year FRI lease. He's paying £400 a month. I paid 40 grand for the shop. Win-win for everyone. I'm chuffed. He's chuffed. And then the guy who owned a local tattoo shop, he approached me and said, my landlord's looking to sell. Would you buy it? Because we love it here. Um, so I said, I know, bother. We'll, we'll take your tattoo shop. 
And so we bought that as well. And he's paying 600 a month. We paid 50 grand for the shop. And it's a cracking shop as yeah. well. And I love commercial and I'd like to buy a lot more commercial. We're, we're sort of eagerly looking for commercial right now because, you know, you get these guys on these longer term fully repairing and insuring leases and it takes a lot of the stress out of it for you. It takes a lot of the hassle out of it for you and you can kind of get the money in every month, you know? So this, yeah, it's a much more passive strategy than mm -hmm. perhaps the CMO strategy where it's more active. To get that to be passive, you just need to do more of it. Yeah. You know, you've got to get the scale and that's, when we had that conversation and, and of course like you know just to remind listeners you know you're not based here you're not based in the uk yeah. you're based in dubai so there's that element of well how do you manage it but i mean let's just talk about that how do you manage the so resi I'm, portfolio i'm really lucky um my mum and dad have been doing this for 20 years and my mum's an expert in this you know she's never been a letting agent or anything like that but she's had her own significant buy to let portfolio that she manages currently alongside the portfolio so she works for the business she works in the business um, so she's an employee of the business and she she manages it day to day for us and has done for the past sort of maybe five years as we really sort of scaled and grew the business. So she does everything from refurbs um, all the way through to managing the tenants day to day. We've got my dad as well. He's a bit of a dab hand that kind of, he can turn his hand to anything, you know. So you'll kind of be, I don't know, sticking tiles up one day and you'll be, don't know, silicone and baths the next days or changing locks the next days or, you know, sh shaving doors and stuff. Nothing. Yep. He's not installing kitchens and bathrooms or anything like that or doing plumbing or gas, but he's, if it's just bits and pieces need done, it's, it's, that's what you really need in this business. I find that when you're managing a portfolio, if you want someone to come put a kitchen in for you, put a bathroom in, that's easy. I've got a line of folk wanting to do that. It's when you need a door shaved. It's the wee bits and pieces. It's the wee bits and pieces yeah. that you have to get done. Like right now I've got a bath panel even stuck on. No one wants to do it yeah. because it's not a big job. It's a job you can only charge, what, 50 quid for, 60 quid for, but I need it done. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're talking to the converted here. I mean, mm -hmm. we, you know, we have um, two and a half, three maintenance people that work for us because of that sort of stuff. And they do work on projects as well. But you, you just find that it's actually more efficient to have one person doing it that's on your team all the time because yeah. it's really difficult. But sometimes you're really lucky and you find somebody that can do that. But just going back to the, the Dubai and your your mother being here and the team being here is that you do some other elements, so don't you? It's not, you know, whilst you're out there and you've got a full-time job, right? So whilst you're out there, you're doing more financial and finding deals? Yeah, so I do a lot of the deal sourcing. Um, I do all the accounting as well, mm -hmm. the back-end kind of accounting. I do all the compliance as well, so I'm doing all the... I'm doing all the kind of follow-up with the tradesmen and stuff like that. I'm paying the invoices. Um, I probably work a couple hours a day on the business every day, um, just mainly um, in the accounts and things like yep. that, and making sure we've been paid our rent on time, uh, looking for the deals, trying to source stuff, following things through. Um, we do huge letter drop campaigns all the time to because we're focusing on such small areas. Yep. There's streets we really want to buy in, so we are constantly following up with letters on those streets seeing if someone wants to sell this week. So, and yeah, that's the kind of what we're doing today. today. You know, I'm an expat. Um, I've been based in Dubai for eight years now. And I'm, I'm, uh, I've kind of got no intention of moving home anytime soon. I've got a great job out there that I love. Um, you know, my family's out there. And, you know, life's really good over there. Uh, not to rub it in too much. You know, I know <laughs> winter's coming for you guys in Scotland, but life's <laughs> great in Dubai. And I think, you know, I think if there's any expats sort of listening in, I think to have a real think about what, 
what opportunities are for you. You know, when you're when you're living in Dubai, you're not paying any tax. It's tax free. That's the nature of the beast. Um, and you tend the salaries tend to be much higher in Dubai, and so you know, you you're paying you're getting paid sort of thirty to fifty percent more than you would here in Scotland. So you're making good money. It's tax free. Yet there's this temptation in Dubai to go out every weekend and blow your money. You know, when I first moved to Dubai, I thought it was Billy Big Balls. I was having the time <laughs> of my life. I bought a boat, I bought a Porsche, I had the flash partner in the marina. I was out on the piss every weekend. I thought I was Archie. But you know what? After three or four years of it, you realise you've not actually just spent everything you've earned. You've had a great time of it, but you've not, nothing to show for it. So for me, uh, you know, the past maybe four years, I set up a limited company four years ago and I started really investing heavily in property. Everything I earned every month, I'd throw back in to buying something new and i try and buy a new house every, to begin with, every two or three months. But it kind of spiraled from there. And, you know, I think the great thing about scaling a property portfolio is, is the more you invest it, the more the easier and quicker it gets to grow. Yeah, you've got more cash flow in the business behind yeah. you. You've got more deals that are coming to you rather than you having to chase deals. So you, when you get that momentum behind you, it's kind of, it's like a snowball effect, you know, that's, it becomes much easier to scale. So is it fair then, just unpicking that a little bit, about the Dubai and being, I mean, it doesn't have to be Dubai, it could be based somewhere else, right? But, but from working abroad, investing back to here, is that obviously having a team on the ground, an important tick, um, taking your skill set that you can use a distance tick. But also, do you think part of the success is that focusing on such a small area because you really know what's going on? You're doing the same thing, you're doing mailers and everything else, but you're really focused. Is that being one of the big parts of your success? Yeah, I think I think a lot of people are just looking here, there and everywhere to get whatever deal they can and they never really quite deeply understand the market. They don't yep. quite understand that if I buy a property in that area <laughs> and invest this you know, in, in that, then yep. they can really build something that can be scaled. And I think therein lies the challenge. I think focusing on a really small area has been so helpful for me um, to, to really get under the sort of skin of things. Yeah. So deals start to come to you. And I'm not talking about some sourcer giving you a call or sending you some dealies packaged up for you this week. I'm talking about, you know, little Mrs. Smith saying that she's she's wanting to go into a home and she's spotted a, a serviced apartment she wants to buy. In, in some kind of home community, yep. but she wants to get it quick because they go really fast. Could you buy her house straight away? She'll give you a good price on it. Great. That's the kind of, that's how we source deals. Yeah. It's not like, can we get through a sourcer and do this and that? And it's that's how we're finding them because we're quite big in the community. I'll give you an example. We've got a Facebook page. We've got about 2,000 followers, which might seem pretty modest for, for, a, for, for a property company, you know. We don't sit and you know, go on, on about the BRR strategy and about... I don't know how to motivate yourself this week. We talk about what's happening in the community. I put pictures like, oh, did anyone see the tall ship that came in, the, in through Dundee last week? Or did anyone see there were dolphins in the harbour the other day? Or, oh, did you see the local football teams having a great, great season? Things like that, kind of these good news stories, put up nice pictures of the area and stuff that really engage local people. I'm not trying to impress some other property person. I couldn't give a damn what they're doing. What I'm really interested in is, is there 10 people in the local community that might want to rent properties from us? Great, because when we advertise stuff, we get 20, 30 people asking about the properties. Is there other people in the community wanting to sell their house to us because they're looking to move out, they're looking to make a change, they're looking to do that. So that's, you know, we've, we've, got, we've got that community around our brand. We, our brand's loss and lettings, and that's what we're, we're yeah. trying to do. Okay, so looking forward and taking a little bit of maybe a pause on where we are right now in the market, we spoke there about 
diversifying a little bit and some of the retail units you've looked at and the potential for looking for some more projects of scale, what, what's, what's your feelings um, and maybe even challenges that you see in the resi side right now that's making you look elsewhere? What, what else do you think you're going to be changing? I think the resi market is in a horrible place right now. Uh, I think there's going to be probably the next 12 months. I think we're starting to see it already. I think there's a lot of stuff coming, but I think you're going to see a lot of people in a really sticky position. I think a lot of people don't quite know what the Section the Section 21 stuff is. They certainly don't know about some of the, the Scottish government regulations. We get, we get messages on Facebook every week. We get phone calls people every week saying, Oh, my, my, you know, my, my mortgage is going up to this, and I can I'm underwater on the mortgage, and I can't afford it anymore. And I'm paying tax on my interest. And I'm being taxed on interest payments, and my tenants only paying five hundred a month because I've been a great landlord all these days. Woe is me! And you know, we can offer a kind of a service solution for them where we can go in, get their house off their hands, um, offer them decent enough money. We're not trying to rip people off. You know, people have made good money over the years in their houses. We're just want we want to make it worth our while. Um, um, and yeah, we'll, we'll take it off their hands. And I think that's what we're looking to do right now. We're also looking to opportunities to scale up in other areas. Um, so whether it's buying sort of commercial units, commercial spaces, little shops, um, I think a lot of people are tired. I think if you look at the demographic and the profile of what your, your landlords look like, they tend to be people that are kind of 60 plus at this point. Mm -hmm. They're looking to get out of the game. I was thinking my mum and dad has been the perfect profile of someone I'm trying to target. Um, they're landlords, they've been landlords for 25 years, they bought these houses for buttons back in the day, yep. they've renovated them to a high standard, they've had tenants in who are paying so-so rents, average rents, quite low rents probably, um, they're not maximising the value of that property, and frankly, they're just done. They're sick of going to dinner parties and not want to tell folk they're a landlord. They're sick of, they're sick of being vilified in the press, they're sick of you know, being taxed through the roof, the regulation changes. Every month it's a regulation change. You can't keep up. Um, the big one's coming down the pipe right now is EPC changes. Um, it's a major frustration of mine because I want to get ahead of the curve on it. I knew if you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. coming and to be perfectly frank I actually really believe in EPC changes I think we should be doing it I firmly believe in um, providing quality homes um, for my for my tenants I, I don't want to be in crappy houses I don't believe in it I would never we've got a motto at Lawson Lens we'd never rent a house out we wouldn't live in ourselves I'm proud to live in any one of my houses they're decent they're high quality and a big part of that's been the EPC stuff so I got ahead of the curve I've been actually going through we worked out 
that 70% of our properties weren't an EPCC about 18 months ago. We're now at 21% or not an EPCC. Oh. Yeah. I've spent about 30 grand over the past 12 months getting up to EPCC. So when I saw that legislation coming in from the Green, that toy, those comments from the Green Party a few weeks ago saying, oh, we're going to change the algorithm all completely. I thought, are you kidding me? I've been working on this. I've been investing in this yep. to make them EPCCs. Now you want to change the algorithm. Oh, and my, my, my certificate might not be valid anymore. What? You're winding me up. It's just this lack of thought in the policies that have been put in place from the resi sector. They use it as a political football to kick around. And I think that's what makes the commercial space much more appealing because it has that level of professionalism about it that the resi space doesn't have. It's, commercial space is not a political football. Um, it's much more um, business-focused, in essence, right? It's You're dealing with professional people. Yeah, it, 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 you could argue it's seen as a cash cow, but other than that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with the, with the current legislation changing, tax changing, I mean, we're not here to bash resi, but what's the solution in that resi market? If, if government continues its interventions, how do you see that market changing? Is that going to be more to institutional investors, large portfolio landlords? Is that really the way that that's going to yeah, have to go? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people, people ask me all the time, I speak to these kind of small landlords. You know, 97% of landlords in, the UK, in Scotland only own one property. If I was a letting agent right now, I'd be terrified. Because that's your clients, right? I'm not the client. I've got in-house staff. I'll, I'll never go a letting agent. Why would I do that? It would cost me a small fortune to go a letting agent. So if I was people like them, if I was letting agent, I'd be terrified. Because frankly, your entire business model is going to unravel very quickly. And people will sell off. They are selling off already. So I think what will be left is institutional investors. But they'll do build to rent. Or they'll mm -hmm. go and buy up lots of, you know, Persimmon or Barrett's homes and, and rent yeah, them out. The logic there would say, yeah, having 50 houses in multiple locations yeah. doesn't really work so well for them, yeah. Yeah, so people like me will be left to sort of take up the slack. And, you know, I think there's a, there's a, hand, a handful right now, investors right now in Scotland who are getting to a reasonable sized portfolio and buying up quite a significant kind of numbers of houses, um, particularly ex-local authority, that sort of thing. Um, and I think that's the way it's going to go. Um, if, if when I meet people nowadays and they say, oh, they've got a couple of buy-it-lets to top up their pension, I, I almost want to, to hug them and say, I'm really sorry, but you've been, you've been, sold, up, you've been sold down the water river here, mate, by the, by the, by the government. Um, so I think that it's a sad thing because, you know, I've got a commercial bottom line. You know, when my parents rent houses, they're not thinking that way. They rent their houses and they just think, well, you know what, we've got a good tenant in, we'll keep them in and that'll be grand. And we'll just, if there's a problem, we'll just fix it. But for me, you know, I just think how we can scale and commercialize this, how we can be, we can drive the, we can get a good revenue for providing a good service. I think that's the way I think about it. And it's not, these mom and pop shop kind of setups are just, they're going to disappear over there's, time. There's a little bit of um, risk there, isn't there? So the one that you recently purchased, the one that's overseas, <laughs> over the water from mm -hmm. uh, your usual postcode, 500 meters as the crow flies or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, that was from someone who was thinking, right, I'm not actually making any money here anymore. Yeah, so he was a great guy. Um, he's had the house for about, since 2007 he's had it. Um, he's had it rented out, he's made good money over the years, but his uh, his fixed rate came to an end. His tenant was paying, I think, 410 a month. And uh, his fixed rate came to an end. And suddenly he was, he was doing the maths, he was paying 7.5% interest. He hadn't been paying down the loan because he was making good cash flow on it and it was never the goal to pay down the loan, it was just to 
to have a little bit of top up yep. for the pension. And suddenly he's thinking, what am I bothering for? Like I'm not making any money. Um, but then these, then you've got to think, so well, what do you do? You know, if you're selling a tenanted property, you need to assume there's going to be some discount on it because who's buying tenant properties? So you have to assume a 10% discount at least on it. So my, my thought is, well, I can buy it with a bit of a discount. I'll take a long-term view on it. And you know what? Maybe in five years' time, I can refinance it out, you know, get most of my money out in five years' time when I refinance it. I'll take a hit in the meantime. I'll barely, I'll cover the mortgage and make it maybe a 50 quid a month or something. And every year, I'll put it up by 3%. Yeah, unfortunately, and, uh, at the moment, yeah, the only real way to get that up to market value is when they move out. That's the structure mm -hmm. we've now got from the Scottish government, which is a bit... But um, that's the sad thing, Jerry, because for the longest time, I've never really put my rents up. I put them up when there's changes in tenants, but I've never really, they're not silly. They, they go up 50 pound, 25 pound. But now I'm putting the rents up to the maximum I think I can possibly get for a property. Because frankly, you know, so far from our portfolio, we've had nine, nine, we've had nine properties so far drop off the fixed rate. But when they drop off the fixed rate, they almost double in, and the market yep. almost doubles on them. So suddenly your cash flow becomes non-existent in some properties. So I'm trying to cover the entire portfolio and make sure we have enough rent to cover that, to cover our salaries, to cover our insurances, to cover you know, the that's band. Where, yeah, it's, that's it's, where it's, having multiple numbers helps. Yeah. Because you're doing a lot of averages there, aren't you? And just while we're talking about the finance side, um, I just wanted to briefly touch on expat finance is that challenging yeah it's really fine so it becomes really fine really challenging and there's probably about 10 banks that will lend to you and um, when you start looking in scotland it narrows a bit and there's about three banks that will lend to you and then we start looking at ex-local authority or above a shop or you tell me it suddenly narrows to about one bank um <laughs> which everybody knows who it is if you're an expat it's shawbrook um, <laughs> um and yeah so and the rates are are Actually, now the rates used to be much higher. Nowadays, the rates are 0.25% more. Okay. So you pay a 0.25% premium being an expat. There's not as any competition with the prices rates right now because the way things are. So you're paying quite chunky interest on it and always was. So when people talk about, oh, well, I was paying 2%, now I'm paying 8%. Frankly, I've always been paying about 4.5%. So I'm kind of, it's not such a big fright for me, you know? So it's it's okay. Like yeah. it's, um, but you know, a lot of expats think, oh, I'll never get a mortgage. Well, I can tell you for sure, but any decent broker can get you an expat mortgage, um, particularly if you're based in like the US or Dubai or Canada or South Africa or someplace with a kind of an established um, kind of financial system. Um, I think if you're based in, I don't know, you tell me, West Africa or something, I imagine it's not a bit more challenging, um, but particularly if you get paid in pound or dollar or dirham or something like that, it, it tends to be okay. Um, is a bit more challenging. There's a bit more paperwork and documentation, but I don't think it's such an issue, yeah, not, to be honest with you. something to be a reason not to do it. There's just a lot less lenders out there. Um, but it is what it is. Um, there still still can be done, no yeah, problem. Do you, I mean, do a lot of expats that you've come across, do they tend not to leverage? Do they tend to just buy the property? Here's, and, and the, th here's the thing, Jerry. Um, in Dubai, I can give an example. In Dubai, they lavish cash on you. Um, I took out a 600,000 dirham, which is about 120,000 pound cash loan at 3% interest, paid back over four years. I'm not nuts. I paid 3,000 pound a month or something like that. And that's crazy, isn't it? And yep. I took that and I went and bought some houses with it. Um, <laughs> so I guess people are doing things like that. Um, but, you know, expats, by the very nature of being over there, the salaries are higher, the, the, 
there's more opportunity there. So people are buying cash. That for me was the attraction with the commercial stuff as well. The shops I were buying were really cheap. You know, I was paying 40 grand for a shop. 40 grand for me is, you know, it's not a big deal in Dubai. To, you could save that up over yep. you know, a handful of months. Do you know what I mean? So it's, I think for expats, um, there's a real opportunity. You know, you're over there. You should be trying to kind of do things to better your financial future. There's never a better time to save than when, you, when you're an expat. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, just spend a little bit less money, go out for brunch partying every weekend and a bit more money on your future. Because that's where your taxes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, right. So we've we've talked we've talked about the resi market and we're not saying do or don't do it, just be aware that you know it's getting pretty choppy. I think most people know that, right? Um in the commercial market, the stuff that you're focusing on is more passive. What would be um your next sort of target? Is it to continue doing the retail side, are you looking at maybe doing some industrial or anything else? What's your current thinking on that? I've been looking at, um, well, right now I really want to buy a little shop for my business. Um, I, what I want to do is buy a, a kind of bigger shop and chop it up into a, get a couple of little shops. Get a little office. Yep. We're hiring another um, staff member right now um, and they need to be able to do office hours, uh, maybe three or four hours a day. So we need somewhere to sit. We kind of want somewhere where the tradesmen can come and pick up the keys for each of the properties and stuff and kind of report back in and... An office, a little office. Yep. So that's where our focus right now. We're trying to find something like that on the commercial side. I'm also quite keen to try and pick up some smaller kind of warehouses, garages. I bought, um, I recently bought a garage in the middle of St. Andrews. Just a garage, a car garage, which might seem ridiculous. I paid 25 grand for it, which people will be laughing. You paid 25 grand for a car garage. Yeah, but I get 200 pound a month for it because it's right in the middle of St. Andrews. Yep. Some local gardener rents it from me. And he's chuffed to bits because he's, he does a lot of gardens around that area. Um, I could have rented that. I've just put that. Um, I advertised that on the local uh, St Andrews Facebook page. I was inundated. I should have said two hundred fifty because I could have got it. I was inundated yeah. with people asking for it and things like that, like really simple stuff. You know, so could it be some little storage units? Could it be some little warehouse in a good location? And um, sort of. So that's what we've been sort of looking at right now. Okay, so rounding off. Anyone looking at the UK or Scotland even for expats, is there any other sort of advice you would give? So we, we've spoken about the team, we've spoken about um, focusing in on your own skill set, but also trying to find more passive assets. What, anything else you would suggest? I would say it's, it's, it's never truly passive. So if you've ever been on a course and you sold a dream that it's going to be a passive income you're going to get, it's not. Everything takes a lot of effort from your part. You've got to want to do this. I would say get some good mentorship, get some good understanding of what, what it is you're doing. Um, you don't need to go to go mad on it. You don't need to go and sign up for some £30,000 course or something like that. You need to just actually go out there and meet people on the ground, get yourself along to networking events, get yourself, as you say, in the swim, Jerry, talking to people, engaging people. I think be careful what you invest in right now. Um, if you're just looking to buy a couple of buy-at-lets to top up your pension, those days are gone. I'm really sorry you missed the boat. Um, it's done. You missed it. If you want to be in the resi side right now, you need to think like me. You need to be thinking, can, do I want to scale this to, maybe not how big we've got, but you need to be thinking to yourself, do I want to get 10, 15, 20, 30 properties? Otherwise, frankly, it's just not worth the bother. It's not worth the taxes you're going to pay. It's not worth the hassle you're going to have. You'd be better just taking your money and putting in a tracker fund, an index fund or something. Um, if you're looking to get into commercial space, I think that's a great business to be in right now. Um, I think the high streets in the UK are just desperate to be 
um, reinvigorated, to be re to rebuilt up. I think in the commercial, in, in the kind of the industrial space as well. Um, looking at looking at things that are a bit quirky, warehouses, garages, um, little shops here, there, and thinking about what could be the best use of these spaces. You know, I've got a little just a little shop on a village high street, but a really well-known tattooist rents it from me, and he runs it as like a tattoo collective of like a collective of artists, which use it as a kind of a you know, you've got to be a certain quality and level to be part of his collective. And so they run it as like a shop like that. That's a unique use of that space. It's a little shop. It used to be a bakery. So things like that, I think, is quite interesting as well. Um, looking, looking at exiting landlords, like I said, your average landlord these days are well in their 60s, you know, in their 70s. They're getting to retiring. They're not interested anymore. They want to go on that world cruise. They want to buy that camper van. They want to check out what opportunities are in that space. Yeah. Um, but thinking professionally, this is a professional industry these days. It's not I an think, industry for amateurs. I think, yeah, I think, you know, everybody's got their own ambition level and what they want to grow to, whether it's 60, 600 or 6, whatever it is. And, and you know, there is space for everybody, particularly if they're not going for high leverage. But the, the market and the landscape have changed. They're not, it's not as simple as it used to be. And there are many more um, tentacles trying to reduce any kind of um, obscene profit being any profit. <laughs> but in terms of looking forward with the way that both the commercial and the resi market are going, as you say, there's only two ways here. One is trying to be the quirky stuff that, that stands out and is different, or two, and probably two, is professionalizing. Mm -hmm. And whether that's in the resi market or the commercial market, and really lifting up all of our... I guess, our standards, the level we're working to, and not just in terms of, um, you know, well, we send a nice email or we do some nice spreadsheets, but actually, what are we doing legislatively? What are we doing compliance-wise? And how are we operating our business? So there's there's an element of, yeah, sure, I've got my certificate for this, and yes, I've checked off that, and I've got that on my spreadsheet, but actually, how do we set up processes and systems so that it isn't just about us. And clearly that's something you've had to work on in the last two or three years. And now you're talking about a new employee because one of the big challenges for you right now is, well, mum doesn't want to be doing it forever, forever and we've got to find somebody else. So that whole professionalising, what, what's, your, what's your take on that? What's your thoughts about how people can make their business actually suitable and stronger for what's coming? Yeah, well, importantly, I'm really, really behind the professionalization of the sector. I think it's been run on a wing and a prayer for far too long. And I think it's had to come. I think it's probably gone a bit too far. I think they've probably gone a bit too in depth. When I think about the latest ones is lead pipes thing. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I've not read in the newspaper ever that someone's done a lead pipe poisoning, but apparently it must be a thing. There must be some reason for this. But that, that's an example. But I think that professionalization has to be done. I think that's the only way you can scale and grow your business. But also as well, the process thing you said, you know, we, you know, we've got a significant size now. And I sometimes think that we're running around like headless chickens trying to chase this, that, and the next. Whereas if we had the appropriate process and systems in place, it'd be much more streamlined and effective. And if we said, this is the only way we run our business. Yes. You know, um, and I talk about this a lot. How do you grow to scale and uh, scale? The only way you do it is by putting systems in place. And I think that that's an important sort of element. And as we hire our new staff member, um, if they come on board, that's something we're really going to focus on is that systemization. Um, you know, 
doing doing a, when you do uh, when you do something, write how exactly how you did it, work, and then go back and analyze. Was that the best way to do it? And then that's where you do it from now on, because that's the you know, that's the in the in the, the book, and that's what we do the way we do it. So it can be it, yeah, that that's working on the business, mm -hmm. but it can be tricky when you're working in to 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 be able to take that time out to actually say right, okay. There's always silver lining, right? Something went wrong, but silver lining here is we can get better. Yeah. Often customers teach you ways of doing things better, right? Because mm -hmm. you're hitting a rub and there's maybe something that they've um, they've either done or something has happened and you, it teaches you, right, next time around, when I write this contract, when I do this particular exercise, we're going to be doing it slightly better and, and different. Have you got um, in your mind an idea of the sort of skill sets that you need in that business so that it is professionalized? Is there certain things in there you think, well, actually, right, we're recruiting this person to do X, Y, and Z, but at some point we may well need to do that, or are you not thinking of that kind of scale? What, what, what's next for the, certainly from the resi point of view, we spoke a little bit for the, about mm. the commercial, but you know, in terms of growth, are you thinking like, I want to double this portfolio, I'm happy where it is, or are you undecided at the moment? So if you'd asked me 12 months ago, I probably would have said we're going to, grow maybe another 30 houses then we'll consolidate we'll pay down we'll just pay, sell out some of it we've got some properties that really don't work as, as buy lets anymore we bought them because they were really good deals at the time but to be honest with you they should have been flips um we just we don't i don't like flipping things i just keep them but they'll probably sell off some of them but now i i firmly believe there's an enormous buying opportunity coming mm -hmm. i think we're not there yet i think give us another 12 more months but I think the market's ready to open up. Uh, I think we're going to see huge opportunity in the in the, the rest of the base, particularly here in Scotland, because the, everything the Green Party have done has created this perfect storm for a lot of really good small landlords. So if you, if you are looking to enter the space right now, I think there's never been a better time. Actually, it's a scary time. I think it's the for the, it's, I think what's coming is the big boy stuff. But I think that um, if you're ready to scale quickly, if you're ready to pick up the deals, pick up all the pieces um, as landlords exit quickly, try to move away. If you're ready to buy tenanted portfolio, tenanted properties, I think it's, I think now is the time. So that's the only reason we're trying to scale. That's why we're hiring right now into the business because we want to be prepared for that next step. We want to be prepared for, the, for that growth opportunity that we know is coming. Fantastic. Okay, right. So when are you flying back to Dubai? Next week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wheeling and dealing over here. Exactly, yeah. And now, and now you're going back to Dubai. And when you're in Dubai, um, do you have any property stuff that you do? Is there any events or anything yeah. going on out there? So we have this weekly meetup. Mm -hmm. It's just, sorry, weekly. It's a monthly meetup. Yep. It's on the first Wednesday of every month. It's a lady called Mandy that runs it. It's completely informal. It's just uh, a few drinks and a bit of chit chat. There's no sale. Uh, in fact, if you want to sell anything, please don't come. You're not welcome. <laughs> um, it's just a laugh, yeah. to be honest with you. And yeah. That's good. I know we've got listeners out there, so um, maybe they can have a look in the show notes and they'll be able to pick up some details because we'll leave in there. Lawson Lettings, which, yeah. what's best for you? LinkedIn? Just, uh, uh, best things for me is uh, Instagram or mm -hmm. Facebook. Just drop me a message. If you want to come along to the uh, to the, uh, the the week, the monthly meetup, just drop me a message. I'll get you added to the WhatsApp group. The what are actually, um, our meetups are really amazing, actually, because Dubai's become a bit of a hub for kind of investors yep. and uh, property people now, you meet, we have people that come along. We've got one guy that comes along as 800 flats yeah. uh, all over the UK. So you kind of get these people, you speak to them and it's like, oh my gosh, wow, it's such an inspiring story. So we've got a real, well, we've got a bunch of newbies as well. So it's quite, uh, it's a good group. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. All right, Mike, thanks really? so much for joining us. Best of luck with the next stage of your adventure. Cheers. Cheers.